So today's message is on the simplicity of God. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember we talked about that God is, uh, well, he's not like us, and God, we said that God is incomprehensible, that you cannot wrap your mind around God and we cannot fully understand him. So you might be thinking, well, pastor, um, today you're saying that God is simple, uh, but you already said that God is incomprehensible, so uh, this does not compute. So we have to clarify this from the beginning. When we're talking about God's simplicity, we do not mean that God is easy to understand. That's the way that we often use the word simple, but when uh, theologians throughout the years have, have talked about God's simplicity, this is, this is not what they mean. They don't mean that God is, is easy to understand. Um, if you think back to um, in, in school, when they taught you about different types of machines. Okay, remember being taught about simple machines? Okay, so a simple machine, you had something, you think this is barely even a machine. It's like a, uh, like a, like a wedge or an incline plane or a screw. Uh, it's a machine that is just one part. Okay, so that makes it a simple machine. And so if you had a compound machine, that's made of multiple parts. So that's the basic idea that we're getting across here, is that God is not made up of parts. He is not compounded. He is not composite. He is not made up of different things and different parts. He is a God without parts. That's the, the basic meaning when we talk about this. So if you want to have a, uh, just a definition of simplicity, the simplicity of God means that God is not composed of parts. And in this message, we are going to talk about why I believe that is, is biblical, why that helps make sense of God. Uh, we're going to unpack some of the implications of what this means, and also how if we don't believe this, it is going to affect a lot of other things about God. This isn't just one thing that is on its own. We're going to see this ties together all kinds of other things with the attributes of God and would affect things that we've already talked about. It would affect things that we are going to talk about. If you don't hold this, it creates a lot of different problems. So there are verses, I think, that point to this, but also we want to take Scripture as a whole and realize if we didn't believe this, all the problems that it would create. But in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that does mean that there is just one God. That's part of it. There are not multiple gods. We're not polytheists. But it doesn't just mean that there is just one God. It also, I think, is alluding to the fact that God is, is one in himself. That he is, uh, he is united. He is the same all the way through. There is no, there is no division or separation within God. God does not have different parts. Last week, we talked about the, the aseity of God, and we looked at Exodus 3.14. God's describing himself, giving his, his holy name as, I am who I am. And I think this also points to this fact that he, he is not a God who is this and that and this and that all put together. He just, he is who he is. God is a, a simple God, and he is not composed of parts. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon about the simplicity of God before, but you know, this is something, even though it doesn't get talked about a lot today, 
through the 2,000 years of church history, this was something almost every major theologian throughout the years believed and affirmed and had at the, the beginning of their theology. I mean, if you go back to, to Athanasius, to Augustine, to um, Anselm, Aquinas, uh, the Reformers, the Puritans, um, even Arminius even affirmed the simplicity of God. This was very standard. People agreed that this was true about God. It's really not until kind of modern times that a lot of uh, theologians have kind of gotten away from it. And I think, honestly, part of it is either because they misunderstand what it is intended to teach and what it means, or there are those that want a God that is changeable. They want a God that you can swap out things and he can change or evolve over time. Or they want a God that they think needs to be more like us in order to, be, to, to relate to him. But that's why we started the series saying that, you know, God is not like us. He is different. We, we should expect that. Um, he, he is more personal than us. He is more active than us. Uh, but there are going to be differences. And one is that he is a, a simple being. So let's talk about some of the implications of this. And uh, to describe this a little bit more, and we'll have some applications through and at the end. So first... Describe it like this, that God is not put together and God can't come apart. This is part of what the simplicity of God means. It's part of what it entails. He is not a God that has been assembled. He's not a God that you, that you can take apart. He does not have come apart ability. Okay? And we think about this. If, um, if that were true, this would change a lot of things about God. Okay, so God is, let's see, where did I put this? I'll introduce you here to, uh, <coughs> to Lego God, <laughs> so we have here. Um, so uh, have him put together, and uh, this, is, uh, this is Lego Duplo, okay? Uh, he's like, worship me, okay? See, so he's got all these eyes he can see into your soul. God is not like this. God is, is not a God that is, is made up of blocks or parts or, or Legos where you can assemble him, you know, and put him together. Now think about if God were a God like this, what this would say um, about a lot of things. Last week we talked about, like I said, the aseity of God. And that was another word that we don't use much unless we're talking about who God is. But it means that God is of himself. Okay? And we said last week it means that God has no needs. He doesn't depend on anything because he is self-existing and uh, he is self-sufficient. But think about this. If you, had a, if you had a God that was made of parts, that would change this view of God not depending on anything, right? Because first of all, if, if you had the God here, if you had uh, Lego Duplo here as, as your God, uh, Lego Duplo here didn't come uh, assembled like this. Lego Duplo here, uh, the, the great and powerful, needed someone to put him together, namely my children, okay? I, last night, I, I said to my kids, I said, kids, I need you to do something for me. I'm like, okay. I said, I, I need you to, to build me a false god, uh, which, I'm like, those words actually came out of my mouth. <laughs> it's not the normal thing that a uh, pastor or a Christian dad at all usually says to their kids, but 
with specific purpose for this. Like, all right, so they <laughs> went and uh, built me uh, a few different ones here. So this is one, this is a Lego Duplo. But he depended on my kids to, to put them together. So if you're a guy that's made of parts, it means you, you're composed. So you're depending on someone else, a composer. And if there's some, someone else that put together God, well, then I guess you're not God. It's whoever put you together is a being that's above you. You depend on that person instead or whoever that is or whatever it is. So that's one problem with this. If you, if you believe that God is, is composed or built. Another, okay, not only would Lego Duplo depend on the uh, builders, but he would also depend on his parts. He would depend on all these things that are put together. And, you know, if you, if you took some of them apart, now he's no longer what he is. It would mean that these parts probably pre-existed him. You know, and where did they come from? And they would have to be put together. So he wouldn't be a God that doesn't depend on anyone. He would depend on a composer. He would depend on, uh, he would depend on his parts. And even if you believe that, well, he's, um, he's been like this forever, well, there's still a sense where he does depend on his parts. He wouldn't be what he is if you took away some of these modules and these different things. So that's two things that would be different if, if God was um, made up of parts. There's another thing that would be different, too. Not only is it that God is not put together, he can't come apart. A big problem with, you know, if you have a God that is made of parts, is it also means that God, that God can come apart. God can break. He can theoretically go to pieces. You know, so I, I, I broke the God. That's the thing. If, if you ever find yourself saying, I, I broke the God, it's a good sign you're not talking about the real one. Okay? If you ever say, I broke my God, you, that's a good sign there's, something has gone wrong with your religion. Okay? The real God, uh, he is not made of parts. He can't be split into parts, even theoretically. So even a simple machine, even if you had, when we talk about a simple machine, it's not made of parts, but you could, you could cut it in half if you wanted to. It's made of atoms, you know, and you could even, you know, get it down there. You can even split an atom. So everything we know is, is, is made of parts, and it can be smaller and smaller. But God is not. So if God was composed of parts, he would depend on a composer. He would depend on his parts, and he could come apart. So some of the implications tying into this is that God is immaterial, he does not have a body. This is one of the implications. Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is spirit. He's not a God that's at one location over here or somewhere because he is not a God that has a body. He is not made up of, he's part matter and part immaterial. You and I are. We are composed of many things and not just your physical parts. We are composed of, well, you have a immaterial part and your soul, spirit, immaterial, and you have a physical part. And you know what? Those parts can come apart. And in fact, one day those two parts are going to come apart because that's what it means for us to be, to be mortal. It means that our spiritual, uh, immaterial part and the physical part can come apart, and that's what death is. It's separation. We're not intended to, we're not supposed to come apart in the sense that death is not a natural thing originally, if there was no sin in the world, we wouldn't come apart, but we would, we're supposed to have bodies. We're supposed to be immaterial and material put together. 
but we do come apart because death has come into this world because of the fall, because of Adam's sin. And that's something we, we deal with. We can be split, we can die, but God cannot die. God cannot be split. Jesus died, yeah. But in order to do that, he had to become a human being as well. He had to take humanity upon himself so that he could die for sinful humans like us, even though he is and was and will be sinless. But also to be capable of dying, he had to add humanity to himself so that he could do that. So he died by virtue of his humanity. The, the, the divinity in him did not die. Jesus as, a, as the person died, but it's because he was human. So God does not have a body. If he did, that would mean that there's part of God over here, part of God over there. He could be cut up. He could be split up. He doesn't have a physical. He doesn't have a, a spiritual, a different type of, of body. It also means that God is, God is incorruptible. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is immortal. He is incorruptible. He cannot be split up like that. So if you worship the true God, you worship a God that's always going to be there, a God that's not going to decompose. I mean, think of what decompose means. It's the opposite of com- being composed, being made. You're, you're splitting up. God's never going to do that. One day, you and I, yep. God, nope. He's not going to. That changes how we view him. That changes how we can depend on him because of that. So that's one way to think about it, that the simplicity of God, he's not put together, he can't come apart. Let's take it another step deeper. This also means that God does not have optional parts. We'll talk about this in a second here. You think of, think of cars, different accessories that cars can have. Um, <clears throat> And so I had to go to car shop, and my, the, the, the Kia Rio finally, finally went to the uh, big Kia junkyard in the sky. Uh, so I got another Kia. Uh, <laughs> my older one didn't even have, um, you know, these fancy things that, you know, fancy people have, like power windows, you know, power locks. The new one's got a, a little bit more. But, uh, you know, but there's, there's some cars that they have options that you can spend the extras for. I looked up some of these. Uh, the Porsche Panamera, uh, for just an extra $740, you can get leather sun visors, okay? Those regular sun visors aren't good enough, you know, cough up the extra 700 for the leather ones. So, give you a few others here in the Ferrari 458, colored seat belts, if you want that option, that'll be uh, additional $908 for you, for that. So, you know, don't want boring black, you want them to be, you know, nice and red for your Ferrari. If you have a, for those of you, you know, getting a Porsche 911, um, for an extra $1,720, you can get painted air vents. Okay? Good use of funds. Um, so for those of you buying your, uh, your Rolls Royce uh, out there, you can get the uh, gold-plated hood ornament only, as an option, only $9,100 for that. Let's see. And uh, also in a Rolls Royce, if you want it, you can get the Starlight Headliner. Okay, oh, we're a little behind here. So you get the, uh, the Starlight Headliner, and this will only set you back $12,350. So you can have fiber optics, um, you know, in the, uh, the, the roof of your car. So it looks like twinkly stars, and they, they twinkle. It's just $12,000. 
By the way, if you're thinking of that, I'd also like to talk to you about the capital improvement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and another card, the, the, the Maybach, you can get, for only $58,000, you can get granite trim, if you would like that, and if you actually think that is a good-looking thing for your car, for $58,000. Here's my point. God's attributes, when we think about them, and we're going through a list of the, you know, some of the attributes these seven weeks, God's attributes are not optional parts, okay? God's attributes are not optional add-ons to who he is. Because an, uh, an optional add-on means you could have it or you could not have it. It's like, well, what do I want my God to be like? Let's see, I think I'll upgrade and I'll, I'll, get, the, I'll get the love and the mercy. Uh, let's see, we'll skimp on the, um, you know, the kind of God of wrath, we'll, you know, and justice. How about, well, just, how about, we'll split justice. Take the kind I like, but not the other kind. Um, no, they're not additional add-ons. We don't want to think of it like that. Um, he, again, he's not like, you know, Lego God. I broke, my, I broke my Lego God, which is a good thing that I also have a... <coughs> you know, I always bring a backup God, <laughs> just in case. So, <coughs> I told my kids, you know, to make me false gods, and they made me three of them. So... <laughs> So, okay, so we have another uh, Lego God here. And, um, you know, of course, just the fact that if you talk about a replacement God, you know, you're, you're, you're off track somewhere already. But you could, you know, think about, well, what if you have something you like or don't like about, you know, you know your Lego God? Well, he's kind of modular. You could swap things out. And I, I kind of did, actually. I mean, there was a part where, you know, Zoe and Luke and Joel each kind of built me one, and I ended up, uh, I th- think I took... Uh, you know, put Joel's God's head on Zoe's God's body and put Zoe's God's head on Luke's God's body because it's kind of liked it a little bit better and you swap it around a little bit of mix and match. Uh, but it's like, yeah, well, it's like, oh, I don't like this part about God. You know, let's, uh, we'll kind of swap them out for this other thing. And, oh, this part seems a little bit harsh. I'm going to change it out here and, you know, customize kind of modular God. Now, hopefully we'd realize that that's a crazy way to think about what God is like. But you realize that is how so many people treat God. That they think they can treat the real God of the Bible like that. That he's this, this modular being that you can, you can customize, you can mix and match, you can make him just how you want him. And you're just made to order. My God would never do this because I've mixed and matched. If you talk about my God would never do this or your God, you've, it's probably a God that you have created. You are worshiping some kind of Lego God some kind of manufactured false deity. Instead, the real God does not have optional add-ons. He doesn't have optional parts. He, he can't be changed. Okay, God, the real God cannot be improved in any way. Even if you could change him, if you could swap something out, you would not be improving God. It would make it worse because he is perfect the way that he is. He cannot be changed or improved can't swap it out. God is not modular. This means, just to make it clear, God cannot gain any attributes, okay? So there are, there's nothing that, oh, God could be a little bit better if he just had this, and maybe one day he'll have it. It also means that you can't say that God, he didn't used to have this. You know, the Old Testament God, he was missing on that love and mercy, uh, but now in New Testament God, thankfully, ooh, he had that. He had some upgrades. No, 
God has always been who he is. He's always been perfect. He's always had everything that, that he is what he is all the time, and he never loses any of the attributes. If he did, he would cease to be God. You can't have parts of God's essence and who he is and lose part of that. One, if he did, he would cease to be God. And if he could, it would mean he was never the real God in the first place. So this changes also how we should think of it when Jesus came to earth. The incarnation, when the second person of the Trinity came, we should not think of it as if Jesus uh, gave up some of his attributes, that he abandoned some of these things, that if we use language of you know, emptied himself, that this means somehow that he, he gave up some of who he is. God cannot lose any of the attributes. When Jesus was on earth, he took on humanity and he lived with a lot of the um, out of his humanity, but he didn't give up the uh, attributes of deity. He couldn't do that, or you, he wouldn't be God. And we'll talk about that more. We'll, we'll do a Trinity series in, uh, in December, but just remember, God cannot lose any of the attributes. He cannot lose any of what he has or what he is. So different ways to kind of think about this, um, just to kind of visualize. We shouldn't think of God like, okay, here's God, and he's got all these, you know, different, you know, attributes, and they're kind of attached to him as if they're these add-ons that are outside of them. And, and good thing he has these, and you could have, there's more attributes than these. These are just some samples. I think sometimes that's how people think of God. There's God, and, well, oh, it's good. He's got these different things. He has them. You know, sometimes we talk about God having attributes, and uh, it might be just a way of speaking, but really, it's not, we're going to see, it's not really something he has. They're not like extra things that, that he has. So this is not a good way to think about God, you know, with these add-ons. But it's also not right to think of him that, well, you have God, and then, well, he's got all these things inside of him. Like there are different parts, different components of God, or different slices of God. Like you could slice them up, and this is the love part, and this is the holiness part, and this is the justice part, and this is the wisdom part, and the mercy part. You know, that's not how God is either. That would still mean that he is, that he is made of parts. So it's not as if God has optional parts, and it's not even like to say that these are just, you know, standard equipment on God. The truth is that God does not have parts at all. Okay, God just doesn't have any parts. If you wanted to have an illustration, and all illustrations and analogies fall short, that's part of the, just what it is to be an analogy, it's not exact, um, you could say it's, it's more like a diamond, Okay, because God has no parts at all. The attributes of God are there. If you want to say it, kind of like you know the facets on a diamond, you know, kind of. So here in my pocket, I have this uh, diamond, uh, which may or may not be uh, real. Um, so just just like uh, Mrs. Archer's uh, wedding ring, um, she's not here. She's in kids' blast. Uh, it's real, as far as I know. That's what they told me at the store. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but you think about a diamond, it, it, it's a, a better illustration. Again, it's, it's not perfect because this is still a material thing and you could cut it up. 
But if you had a real diamond, if this was a real diamond, um, you know, you think of it, it's, it's the same thing all the way through. It's only one thing. It's only one essence. But you can look at it from different ways, and you can think about it in different ways, but it's not composed of a bunch of different things inside of it. So when we talk about God's attributes or his, his perfections, okay, these are not parts of what God is. The attributes are not different things. They're all different descriptions of the same thing. Okay? They're all, you know, one thing is, is God's essence, his, his being, which is simple, which is um, not depending on anything else, which is uh, love, which is mercy, which is justice, which is holiness. These are all descriptions of the same thing. I mean, if you do go and buy a diamond, you know, they talk about the four C's of buying a diamond. Cut, color, clarity, and carat weight. Okay? But they're all describing the same thing, right? I mean, they're all different descriptions, you know, that, that talk about the one thing, but, it, but in different ways. Because we need different ways for us to describe it. In the same way with God, he is, he is one thing. And so there's a sense where all the attributes point to the same thing. The attributes ultimately really are just the essence of God. One theologian said, every attribute of God is identical with his essence. You can distinguish them, and for our limited minds, we, we need to, uh, but they're all really descriptions of the same thing. And the truth is, God is who he is all the way through. God is consistently who he is. God's attributes are not things that God has. They are descriptions of what God is. So God is not part loving, part holy, part just. Okay, and you can find verses in scripture that say God is holy. God is life. God is love. God is life. And these are, it's not, he is all of those things all the way through at the same time all at once. There is nothing in God that is not God. He is consistent all the way through. So when theologians throughout the years, they've talked about this, the simplicity of God, they don't mean just that God is not made of physical parts. They mean he's not made of parts at all, like any type of parts, any type of composition. So he is not um, composed of matter and immaterial, these two things put together. And even some of these kind of abstract things that philosophers used to talk about, God is not form and matter. You know, Aristotle, they used to talk about, you know, everything is the matter, what you're made of, and then you have a form which makes you what you are. God is not composed of those as two different things. They talk about substance and accidents. The substance is, is what you are, but an accident is, well, it's, it's something that describes you, but it doesn't have to be you. You know, something doesn't have to be brown or red or, you know, it, it's still what it is, but it doesn't. It doesn't change the essence, what's essential about something. It's, it's an optional thing. And as I said, theologians, you know, they've agreed on this for uh, almost, you know, two millennia. One of the things that they would stress is that another type of way that God, he is not composed of essence and existence. Now, I'm going to explain this because this is, this is a big deal. Okay, your essence is what you are. It, you're, 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 what's essential to you, your, your essence, your being. But existence is that you exist, okay? 
So, I mean, you think about who you are, but you didn't always exist. Now, you can think of, let's say, a unicorn, okay? And you can know what a unicorn is. You can know what the essence of a unicorn is. That's different than the existence of a unicorn. And so this insight that theologians had is that God does not have separate essence and existence. His, his essence is his existence. They're, they're the same in God. He is a God that always exists, that always has to exist. He can't not exist. I am who I am. He is uncreated. He has life. He has being in himself. It also means that, well, I'll say it like this, God has no potential. Think, well, that's a terrible thing to say. You would never say that to a kid. You have no potential. But you think, does God have potential? We'll talk about this more in an upcoming message. Potential means that there's something that you can improve. You can keep getting better. That God does not have a part of him that's actual and part of him that's potential. That God is, he's all actual. He's all act. He does not have, he does not have potency for anything. He does not have room for, for growth. God is not composed of parts at all. Let me give you this question. Maybe you've thought of it. Maybe you've uh, encountered it. Why is good, good? Getting philosophical with you here. But sometimes, you know, there are young people that go off to college and there'll be some professor, you know, you know, what is good, good? And they'll give you two options and say, well, okay, here's your two options. You know, why, if you, you Christian, you believe in God, why is what is good, good? Option one, God wills good because it is good. So God, he, you know, he's like, well, this will be good because it is a good thing. Option two, good is good because God wills it. Okay, let me say those again. See if you want to pick one or the other. God wills good because it is good, okay? Or good is good because God wills it. There's a problem with each of those. Problem is, if you say God wills what is good because it is good, it's like you're making, you're saying that there's goodness outside of God. And God has said, well, I wonder what's good. Is it this? Is it that? Okay, well, I'll, I'll go with what is good. But it means that goodness is like some other thing, that is, some other concept that is outside of him, that pre-exists. And then God is not by, him, by himself. But on the other side, if you say, well, it, good is good because God wills it. Like God just you know, decides, well, this is good and that's bad. Well, it, it kind of seems arbitrary. What if God decided that just going around beating up people for no reason was good? Say, well, then it's good because God decided it. And that just doesn't seem right either. So both of those options, really, they don't work. I'll tell you what the solution is. The solution is good is what God is. God is, God is good. It's not just, just that he does good. He does good, but he, he is good. That is, part, that is his essence. That is who he, who he is. So goodness is not outside of God. It is not arbitrary. God is good, and any other goodness, whatever it is, is what conforms to his goodness. He is the standard. He is the definition. So the good, the beautiful, and the true, they're all the the same thing, ultimately, and they're all basically, this is what God is. So anything else, if it's good or beautiful or true or whatever, it's, does it conform to what God is? Another question you might ask, well, if God has no parts, then what about the Trinity? Okay, because isn't that God in three parts? Well, we'll talk about this 
more in December. We'll do a series on the Trinity. But for now, I want to say, you know, all these theologians that talked about the simplicity of God, they also talked about the Trinity. They, they were very Trinitarian. There's one God, one being in three persons. And they viewed the simplicity of God as, as a foundation for the unity of the Trinity. But also we need to remember that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these are not three parts of God, okay? The, but three persons of the Godhead, of the one essence of who God is. And each of the persons is fully and completely God. So they do not combine as if there's three parts. It's not like God is, God is not Voltron, okay? You know, coming together and assembling uh, to make, you know, now we're God. No, each person is, is completely and fully God all the way through. Yeah, it's a mystery. It's hard for us to understand. God is not like us. God is incomprehensible. God is simple, not composed of parts, but there is, God is Trinity, one God in three persons. And the persons are united in everything that they do. They're not off on different missions and doing things. They're, they're, God is united. Give me some applications. Some of these we've talked about, but just to make it clear. And, you know, the ultimate application for any of this is we just have to glorify God. Just realize who he is. And this doctrine of simplicity, it's, it's the root of all of his perfections. So one, just remind yourself, God is consistent all the way through. I mean, think about what a beautiful and important thing that is. That God does not have imperfections. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is not, not, he's not mixed with impurities that are inside of him. Okay, it's not like yin and yang. You have the symbols from the east where the two swirly things, and there's light and there's dark, and there's, there's darkness in the light and light in the dark. This is it. No, God is not like that. He is pure. He is nothing but goodness, light, holiness, everything that he is all the way through. He is not mixed. He is not contaminated. There is no dark streak in God. Okay? When you go through difficult times in life, it is not because uh, you moved out of the, the good part of God and you're into the dark streak of God. That is not how God is. We are mixed. Okay? We are double-minded. We are divided. That's part of our, our sinfulness. But God is not like that. And we thank God that he is consistent all the way through. And we also, as part of Christian growth, is us becoming more like that. We're never going to be simple in the way that he is. We're not meant to. But we need to stop being so double-minded. You know, there's a part of us, even as Christians, that it's the new identity in Christ that God is creating within us. But there's times where there's still that part of our heart that, you know, God is still working on and they still have the remains of you know the sin nature that is in us and we have to choose are we going to live out of the part that god is renewing or are we going to live out of the 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 old evil part of our that's still within our hearts talk about deuteronomy 6 4 through 5 i think about this here is we the lord our god the lord is one and then it goes on and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart not a divided heart and with all your soul, with all your might, to have a unified heart, loving God. God also, he's not fragile. Okay, he's not going to break. He's not going to change. 
The application here means you can therefore trust him. God is permanent. You know, they say only a diamond can cut a diamond. So, so what's going to cut God? What's going to break him? You know, no matter how hard your problem is, it's not going to break God. He is not fragile. God, as we said, he is not modular. This means we need to take God as a whole, who he is completely. You can't swap out parts. You can't mix and match the parts you don't like. Nothing can be adjusted or changed to our liking. We need to take him as he is, how he has revealed himself in truth in his word. And to realize that if we don't view this, him as, as being good and beautiful and just and all of this, there's, we're not seeing him right. And the problem is with us because he is a God of, of absolute purity, absolute beauty. And the more we grow, the more we see that. And lastly, to remember that God is the standard for goodness, justice, love, all these different things. There's not some outside standard. And this means that if, for you and I to grow in goodness, to grow in love, to grow in each of these things, means we have to become more like what he is like. There's not some other standard. It's not what people say on Facebook or in politics, and they define what's good, and they define. It's, do we, are we becoming more like what God is? And Christian, that's what God wants to do in your heart. God is not broken, but we are. This world is broken. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, but God sent the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into this world, taking on humanity, so that he could do something that God, just in his divinity, couldn't do, so that he could die, that he could be broken in order to put us in this world back together. We trust in him, and I pray that you do. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Lord God, we give you praise. You are consistent. You are pure. You are, you are the same all the way through, Lord God. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust in you. Help us to love you with a unified heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.